Because he lives, I think it's so true. Because he lives, we can we can be here freely, honestly. If, like Paul said, if if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, we are of all people most pitied. And it's so true. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to Tony's our special music for the night. After Tony comes, Brother Taylor, come preach to our hearts.
Some people get all the talent, don't they? And then there's the rest of us. So, uh, but I hope that your, uh, your heart beats tonight, that you truly do love Jesus. And I hope after this week you love him a little bit more than they did before the revival. Let's go to 1 Kings, no, 1 Samuel chapter 16 tonight. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 tonight. Sure appreciate you being back here on Tuesday night. And uh, it was good to see the sun out today, wasn't it? A wonderful day, and uh, just puts everybody in a little better mood than the dreary weather we've had. And so I'm glad to see you tonight. Sure appreciate uh, those who uh, organized the uh, dinner tonight and those who contributed and came was a part of that. And I would encourage you, especially after the year we've had with so much social distancing over the next few weeks and months, uh, as you've had opportunity uh, to come together as a church family and fellowship with one another and spend time together, uh, take full advantage of that and make that a priority. That's a healthy thing. God's people, especially the church, need each other in times like that. You say, well, I'm not really interested in that. Well, maybe you don't need it, but somebody else does. And uh, you need to show up and come contribute and, and talk to someone else and invest into them and uh, be an encouragement to someone else. And so I just thought I'd say that tonight. So thank you for coming tonight and being a part of a revival meeting. And let me just ask you, how many's glad to be here tonight? Would you raise your hand? And how many's glad you're not in the hospital? Raise your hand. Uh, how many's glad you're not in jail? Raise your hand. How many ought to be in jail? Raise your hand. Amen. A few of you. Yeah, yeah, that's as old as the hills. But thank you for participating anyway. And just another practical message tonight that I trust to be a help to you and a blessing. And that's my heartbeat the, this week, and I hope that already this week, we've gone all the way through Sunday and Monday, and here is Tuesday. I trust that you uh, have received some help. It's good to see, I think, a visitor or two here tonight. We had visitors last night, and as a visitor myself, I don't always know who's new and who's not. So if you are a visitor, I uh, thank you for coming, and thank you for those folks who are uh, tuning in via live stream and watching from home. I sure appreciate that. 
And just another practical message from God's Word tonight. And I just want to encourage you. Uh, you just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Is that okay? And I'm going to do that. And uh, this week, and I don't preach the same messages, but I do have themes that I kind of stick to each night of the week. And Monday, I generally have a theme. And different messages fit within that theme. Just kind of a logical progression. And but this this week, that, that my, my sequence has been thrown out. So I'm just, whatever the Lord lays in my heart each night, is just what I'm going with. And so I believe that's the, this is the text for for us and the story for us tonight, and I don't intend to be long at all tonight, just three quick points and we'll be done, uh, but whatever Jesus tells you to do, I encourage you, uh, please do that. And uh, notice the Bible says, in fact, if there was an audio dial or a switch uh, here on, on the literal Bible that I could turn up, especially on verse number one, uh, tonight you would hear an old man crying. In fact, the Bible uses the word mourn, and the word mourn there has the idea of mourning for someone who has died. And so this is heavy mourning. This is deep grief. You say, who, who's crying and what's he crying about? The old man is Samuel. Samuel's mourning. Notice the Bible says in chapter 16, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will that mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. If you remember several chapters back, God's people, Israel, came to Samuel and said, Samuel, we know that we have the Lord in heaven. We understand that, but, uh, but, but we would like to have a king like everybody else and, and uh, one that we can see and the one that will lead us and lead us in the battle. Uh, we want to be like everybody else. And by the way, that desire has been around for a long time, hasn't it? And so they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king that will lead us and rule over us. And so Samuel goes to the Lord and he tells him what the people want. And God says, well, give them what they want. Well, that can be dangerous, can it? And uh, God says, give them what they want. And so they go ahead and they choose themselves a king. And that king was King Saul. And you remember that King Saul started off real well. He was very humble. And he knew how to gather the people together and rally them together and lead them. Uh, but boy, what a stark warning there is for all of us here tonight. Just because you begin well does not automatically guarantee that we're all going to end well. And that's what happened. He began to disobey the Lord and rebel against the Lord. And finally, the Lord said, I've had enough. And he rejects, the, he rejects him. And in fact, in that conversation, in verse number 13, he tells Samuel that uh, I, I, the, I, the next king will be the king that I choose. And he said, y'all chose the first one. I'm going to choose the second one. And so you get here, and, and in verse number one, and, and Samuel is mourning over Saul. And I think it'd be safe to say uh, that, that, that Saul, that, that was a disappointment. Would you agree with that? Can I say this? And I don't mean to discourage you, but disappointment's a part of life. You're going to have some disappointments in this thing called life. I'm going to have some. You're going to have some. You say, what's a disappointment? A disappointment is an unmet expectation. You had a certain expectation about an a individual or a circumstance or a situation. And, and uh, that, that circumstance, whatever it was, it didn't meet your expectation. And that resulted in disappointment on your end. That's disappointment. And we're all going to face that. Listen to me. Family will disappoint you. Friends will disappoint you. Uh, work will disappoint you. Hey, sometimes at church we get disappointed. Most of all, you're going to disappoint yourself. Amen right there. Uh, we're going to face disappointment in this life. And when you and I face disappointment it is normal it is natural it is healthy to mourn and grieve those disappointments it is it's healthy it's normal we ought to but it's not healthy to mourn and grieve forever and that is the implication of the question that the Lord asked Samuel uh, here in verse number 1. He says, how long will that mourn for Saul? See, there comes a time in our life when we have to stop grieving and we have to start going. We have to stop mourning and we have to, stop, we have to start moving. Because what he didn't know was, know was that God already had a plan. And if you spend all your time mourning over Saul, you're going to end up missing out on David. Now, that's good preaching right there. Somebody tweet that tonight. Amen. If you spend all your time mourning over Saul, you're going to end up missing out on David. And so finally, notice the last phrase here, verse number 16. He says, this is the Lord speaking back to Samuel now. He says, fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided. I love that phrase. God says, I have provided 
me a king among his sons. Listen to me. Man panics. God provides. You may want to write that down in your margin. Somebody may need that tonight. You may need it next week. You may need it next year. Man panics. God provides. He says, I, what he didn't know, God says, I already have somebody waiting in the wings. God said, I already got somebody waiting in the shadows. And so Samuel says, how can I go? In verse number two, he says, Saul finds out I'm doing this. He's going to kill me. And so God says, take a heifer with you and use that to sacrifice. When you get to Bethlehem, if anybody stops you, just tell them you're going to sacrifice. He shows up in verse number four and five. He gets down there to Bethlehem and even the people there, they begin to tremble at his presence. He says, I come as thou There's fear all over the land. And so he says, I come peaceably, I come to sacrifice. And so he calls Jesse and his family uh, to come to the sacrifice that night. And again, I don't know if Jesse knew or if he let Jesse in on why he was there, but Samuel knew why he was there. He was there to anoint the next king of Israel. But Samuel himself, he did not know who was who it was going to be. It was going to be a surprise to him as well. And so he gets there in verse number 6, and the, and the very first son, now he's got eight sons, Jesse has eight boys, and the first one passes... Uh, before him, and it says in verse number six, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab walks in, he's the oldest son, and Samuel lays his eyes on him and says, My soul, this has got to be the next king of Israel. I mean, he looks like a king, he acts like a king, he, he, he carries himself like a king, he sounds like a king. This guy is king material. Surely this is the next king of Israel. But the Lord whispers in his ear and says, Samuel, this ain't him. And I can almost see him turning back to the Lord and saying, Lord, are we looking at the same guy here? I mean, come on now. This looks like the next king. But God says, Samuel, that's not him. And I think Samuel's jaw dropped right then and there. And then he goes on to give us some commentary in verse number 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance from the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. In other words, he says, Samuel, I don't see people the way that you see people. When you look at people, you see their image, and you see the exterior, and you see the outside. But when I look at people, I look past the image, and past the exterior, and past the outside, and I look at the the character and the integrity of their hearts God says I see people differently than the way that you see people and apparently there were some things in in his heart that uh, caused the Lord to pass over him so he says we'll bring out the next one we look in verse number eight the Bible says then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and, and he said neither had the Lord chosen this same thing went down he says now now if it wasn't the first one surely it's got to be the second one I mean he looks like a king sounds like a king carries him now, this is king material but the Lord says pass that's not him either here we go for the third time. The third son walks in. Here we go. Verse number nine. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And once again, same thing. Surely this is him. And God says, nope, not him either. Finally, they get down to the, to the end of all the sons. And I can just see Samuel being exasperated. And he says, Jesse, I mean, for crying out loud, do you have any more boys? He says, well, I got one. But he's just the youngest. And in fact, he's out back keeping the sheep. So just think about it, just for a moment. If he knew why he was there, then Jesse called in all the sons who he thought was going to be the qualified candidate. If he did know. In other words, he says, if you're looking for the next king, it's going to be one of these seven here. I mean, the most likely ones that I have are the ones that you're looking at right here. I got one out back, but trust me on this, I didn't even bother calling him into the house because he's the most least likely candidate to be the next king of Israel. Trust me. Samuel says, call him into the house. Someone goes out back and says, hey, David, come on in the house. They want you in here. And here comes this young teenager, probably 14 years old, comes into the house smelling like sheep, just a, just a teenager, walks in, doesn't know anything that's going on, and when he walks in and Samuel lays eyes on this young boy, the Lord whispers and says, that's him. And I think just like the first time, Samuel's jaw once again dropped again. 
And I think he turned back to the Lord and had that same conversation and said, Lord, are you looking at the same one that I'm looking at? Surely this is not the one. But the Lord said, that's him. Anoint him. And I just see the old man Samuel hobbles over and takes an anointed oil and puts it on his head and his neck there. And I believe he leans over and whispers in David's ear and says, David, you're the next king of Israel. Let me say tonight, sometimes God's choices are surprising. God's choices are surprising. The ones that God chooses to use and the ones that God does not choose to use, boy, those are surprising. We see it all the time in churches and camps and Christian schools. We maybe see a young person and boy, they look sharp and they're a little bit talented and they carry themselves well and they have a natural leadership ability and they have some charisma about them and they can stand up and speak clearly and we think to ourselves, well, I'm telling you, God's going to use that young person. You may be surprised. But we look at the other kid in the youth group who's introverted backwards, can't carry on a conversation, mumbles, can't look you in the eye, introverted, doesn't tell jokes, doesn't even get jokes, come on now, I mean, and we look at that young person and we say they will never do anything for God, you may be surprised. God's choices are surprising. And you just look at the young people around here and 20 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to be surprised at who God used and who God does not use because God's choices are surprising. So I think it's safe to say, and it says in the text that he was a good-looking young man. He was handsome. We understand all that. But apparently because of his age and his low status there, there was nothing outwardly uh, that, that, that the rest of the family or even Jesse, his own father, would have been led to think uh, this young man will be the next king. So apparently there were some things in his life. There were some qualities, and we're going to see tonight around this chapter, some subtle qualities and some not-so-subtle qualities that God saw in his life that led God to say, I can use somebody like that. Tonight, I want to preach on this subject, the kind of people God uses. The kind of people that God uses. And can I say in 2020 when God looks down on Hillsville, Virginia, and He's looking for some people that He can use. And by the way, He's still looking for some folks He can use. He's not looking to just use anybody. If God's going to use our lives, there are some certain qualities that He's looking for. And those qualities we're going to see tonight were found in David's life. If God's going to use you and me, they better be found in our lives as well. The kind of people that God uses. Number one, see this tonight. The first quality we see in, in, in David's life was this. He was spiritual. He was spiritual. God is looking for people that are spiritual. When you go back to chapter 13, verse number 14, you find that uh, that, that conversation going on. And Saul's being rejected, but uh, God tells Samuel, he says, the next man that I will choose will be a man, will be a king after my own heart. And so you come to chapter 16, and we find the event that we just read, and, and David was that very man. He was the one, he was the man after God's own heart. You say, Brother Taylor, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? A woman after God's own heart? A teenager after God's own heart? Very simply it means this. It means that your life is in harmony with God. It means your life is in harmony with God. In other words, if God says go left, you go left. If God says turn right, you turn right. If God says go, you go. If God says stop, you stop. If God says get this out of your life and change it, then you get this out of your life and you change it. What He loves, you love. What He cares about, you care about. What grieves Him, grieves you. That's what it means to be in harmony with the Lord. God was looking for somebody that was spiritual. And don't you appreciate a young man who, maybe 9, 10, 11 years old, maybe in the early teen years of 12, 13, 14, at some point he came to the place where he said, if nobody else in my family is going to be serious, about God, and if nobody else in Bethlehem is going to get serious about God, and if none of the rest of my friends are going to get serious about God, I'm going to get serious about my relationship with the God of heaven. Don't you appreciate that about that young man? So many young people, uh, their attitude is one day. One day. Brother Taylor, one day I'll get serious about God. Once I graduate from high school and once I'm done having my fun and I get to college, then I'm going to get serious about my relationship with God. Brother Taylor, once I get married and have 
have a family. Uh, then I'll get serious about walking with the Lord. But one day, when I, I pass these younger years of my life, and once I'm into the older years, then I'll start walking with God and getting serious about my relationship with Him. Listen to me. What if this? What if one day never comes? What if this is the last year that you ever have to live for God? And for all we know, it may be. You may meet God before the end of 2020. I'm talking about one day, you, and by the way, you will meet Him one day. Eyeball to eyeball, you're going to stand before a holy God. First and foremost tonight, you better make sure that you're saved. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And friend, if you die without Jesus Christ, separated from God by your sin, you will go to a hot burning hell tonight. But the good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, come to Jesus tonight and be saved. Run to the cross tonight. It's not that one day you will be condemned. It's that you're condemned already. You need to be saved tonight. Don't you gamble with your soul. Don't you gamble with your life. If you're here without Jesus Christ, don't you walk out of here and say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. No, you better take care of it tonight, friend. And if you're here and just kind of casually going through the Christian life and you're not committed and you're not dedicated and you're just playing games with God, tonight would be a good night to knock that off. And to say, I need to get a little bit more serious about my relationship with Him. Listen to me. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. Your Sunday school teacher can't read your Bible for you. Spiritual leaders can't pray for you. Listen, they can help us and they teach us and they pre we appreciate all that. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. Listen, in, in this world today, uh, there's a philosopher that says, just fake it till you make it. You ever heard that? Just fake it. That may work, that may work out in the world, and that may work on your job for a little while, but listen to me, that doesn't work with God. You don't fake it with God. He's looking for somebody that's real, that's authentic. Not just on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hey, in the good times and the bad times. He's looking for someone who just every day walks with God. He's looking for people that are spiritual. Is your life in harmony with God tonight? The good news is, if you come here tonight and say, Brother Taylor, I've been out of sync with God. Hey, the good news is, tonight you can get back in step with God. And you can reconnect with God and get back on the path that He would intend for you. That's good news. God says, first of all, I'm looking for somebody that is spiritual. Number two, notice this. I'm not looking for somebody that's just spiritual. Number two, I'm looking for somebody that's humble. I'm looking for somebody that was humble. David was humble. You say, what in the world did he do? I mean, this young teenager, probably 14 years old, what did he do after he was anointed the king of Israel? Here's what he didn't do. He didn't strap a crown on and start strutting around and bossing and barking orders to everybody. He didn't throw a parade for himself downtown on Main Street. You know what he did? Well, let's look at it. The very next passage, the Bible says in verse number 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And so he says, I need relief from this. I need somebody that can play some music. Somebody speaks up and says, uh, we know we know of a musician. It's the shepherd. It's, it's Jesse's youngest son. It's David. He's a musician. By the way, never discount the skills that you develop in your life. Because you never know how God's going to bring that around one day. If you've got gifts, you better develop them because you want as many, tool as many tools in your toolbox to serve God with as you have. I told the folks at dinner time tonight, I so wish I would have kept on taking piano lessons as a kid. If I could, then you could have heard my wife sing this week. Amen. Develop the gifts that God has given you. Well, she can sing without me, but you understand. And so they said, we need a musician. And so they said, we know one. It's David. So the Bible says in verse number 19 of chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 19, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son. Watch this now. Here's what happened after David was anointed king. The Bible says, which is with the sheep. Check out chapter 17. 
The battle with Goliath is about to begin. The Bible says in verse number 12, Now David was the son of uh, Ephratite of, of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man among men for uh, an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and Abinadab, and Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Verse 15, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep, at Bethlehem. Drop down to verse number 17. Jesse's about to send David on an errand. He's about to send him over to, uh, to, 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 to the battle there to deliver the loaves and the cheese and the food to his brothers and check on them. And the Bible says in verse number uh, 20, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. You say, what's the point? The point is, as soon as he got done being anointed the next king of Israel, he went right back to taking care of the sheep. You say, what's the big deal about that? It's a big deal. You say, what's the big deal? He never got too big to do the little things. Listen to me. That was the job. That was the lowliest job in Israel. Take care of the sheep. And since he was the youngest, that was his job. But don't you appreciate the fact that a young man, having just received that privilege of, and a great responsibility of being anointed, Listen to me, although the oil was put on his head, it never went to his head. And he never got too big to do the little things. Can I ask you a question? Have you got too big to do the little things? Listen, I don't care who you are. You're not too big to help with the laundry. You're not too big to help with the dishes. You're not too big to carry out the trash. You're not too big to feed the cat or whatever you have. Everybody okay tonight? God has a hard time using proud people. As if these jobs are below us. About every revival we get to preach, we have the uh, privilege of eating back in a fellowship hall somewhere. And uh, people are so gracious, as you did tonight, you brought food. And afterwards, when it's time to, uh, time to clean up, normally you, you stick around and you help with the tables and the chairs. And, have, and that's, just, that's the way most people were trained. Amen in church. I was in Oklahoma one, some time ago, and, and that's what happened. It was a fellowship on the dinner on the grounds after the, uh, after the uh, morning service, and we all ate, and, and just as normal, just as I was trained to do, is just what I consider right is you start helping take tables and chairs and stacking them up. And a dear lady came over and said, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. You're the guest speaker. I said, no, ma'am, that's exactly why I should be doing this. Oftentimes, we'll be carrying a chair or something or a table with somebody. Usually, it's a youth pastor and assistant that eats with us or whatever. And I'll usually lean up and kind of joke with half joking, half not. And I'll say, you know, <laughs> you never graduate from the table and chair ministry. But some people do. Love the story of D.O. Moody. Late 1800s, he invited a group of European pastors to come over to over the Massachusetts and came to the uh, Northfield Bible Conference that he would host there. And after the day of services, the day was winding down, everybody went back to the room where they were staying. And those European pastors, according to their custom, where they come from, they leave the shoes out in the hallway and a hall servant will come and clean up the shoes that night. Well, the problem was this was in Europe and there was no hall servants here. And so D.L. Moody walked the hall and he realized what was going on and so he went over to a group of the seminary students. And he said, can, 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 I get some, can someone help clean up these shoes for, for these pastors? And his pleas for help were met with silence and indifference. And so that night after everybody else went to sleep, D.L. Moody went around and collected all of the shoes. And he took them back to his, his, to his room there and he began to clean them and then polish them up. And it would have gone unknown unless, and except for a friend, walked in on him and discovered what was going on. The great evangelist. The man that shook two continents for the cause of Christ. Never got too big to do the little things. Listen, I probably missed more opportunities than I should. I'm the first one to admit it. But folks, we ought to be humble servants of the Lord. Every last one of us. God says, I'm looking for spiritual people.
God says, I'm looking for humble people. And last number three, I'm looking for faithful people. David was spiritual. David was humble. And David was faithful. Let me take just make some bird-eye view points. Is that okay? So from a bird's-eye view, we're going to make some points from the text real quick. If you and I know Bethlehem, we, we Christmas time, because of Jesus, we know that. When David was growing up, if he would have been traveling and someone said, Hey, hey, young man, well, where are you from? He would have said, Oh, you, you've never heard of that. You've never heard of it. In fact, people asked me last week where I was coming this week, and I said, Oh, you never heard. No, just kidding. And uh, you may reckon, you understand that coming from a smaller town. Well, that's where he came from. But don't you appreciate, here is a young man who is faithful, listen to me, in obscurity. Long before anybody knew who he was, before he was ever a household name, before we knew the city that was made famous by him and our Lord Jesus Christ, long before that, before anybody ever knew who he was or where he was from, there was a young man who was just behind the scenes and faithfully serving God in secret. Day by day, faithful. Without anybody seeing him, without anybody cheering him on, the only one who knew what was going on was God himself. But listen to me, that was enough. And just there in obscurity, without anybody knowing, every day he would walk with God. He learned to worship God. He learned to spend time with the Lord. He learned to pray. He learned to praise. And he developed a relationship with God there in obscurity, there in private, there in the shadows, there in the secret. And listen to me, when God looked down and saw a young man who was faithful in private, he thought to himself, if I can trust him to be faithful in private, then I believe that I can trust him to be faithful in public as well. Well, God's looking, and we talked about this last night, but I'm just going to hit it one more time. God give us some people that will be faithful in the secret places, as well, in the private places, as well as in the public places too. God's looking for faithful people. He was faithful in obscurity. Number two, he was faithful with monotony. He was faithful with monotony. Think about it. Being a keeper of the sheep and a shepherd, it was practically the same thing every single day. Day in, day out. Feed the sheep. Watch over the sheep. Lead them to the green pastures. Lead them to still water. Protect them. And it's repeat every day of his life. But he is faithful to do it. The mundane, the monotonous, the routine, the unexciting, day in and day out faithful. Listen to me, that's important. The way that you fill those reports out at work, it's important. The way that you carry out those tasks that's been assigned to you, it's important. Because there in those monotonous days, in the backside of nowhere... God was instilling character into him and God was developing him kind of like what we talked about last night. That was God's training ground for him. Listen, God says, if he can be faithful in the monotonous little things, then I believe I can trust him to be faithful with the big things. If you won't be faithful with the little things, then God's not going to trust us with the big things. Is that okay? I'm not trying to be oversimplistic and bore you to tears tonight, but this is what we need. He was faithful in obscurity. He was faithful in monotony. And lastly, number three, he was faithful with reality. Don't just think that just because he was in obscurity and he was watching over the sheep, that he just walked around with his head in the cloud all day, just singing praises to God. No, he was faithful with reality. You say, what do you mean? When you come to chapter 17, he's about to, they're, they're about to face off with Goliath. He shows up on the scene on that errand from his father to deliver the, uh, the snacks and the food to his brothers. And when he gets there, he sees the event unfolding and he see, he hears the threats and the taunts from the Goliath. He sees everybody scared out of their minds. And so he says, why doesn't anybody deal with this giant? And they gave their excuses. And then finally David said, well, I'll take care of him. They said, huh, what do you know about dealing with a giant? He says, well, let me tell you. Back in Bethlehem, when I was watching my father's sheep, there was a day that the lion showed up. And there was a day when the bear showed up. And with God's help, I learned to overcome the lion. And I learned to overcome the bear. And because of God's victories of yesterday, I know that He can help me to take care of the giant in front of me today. Can I say tonight, if you don't learn to overcome the lions and the bears in your life, then how in the world are you going to take care of the giants in your life in the next chapter? 
See, right now's the time to learn how to overcome sin. Now's the time to learn how to persevere through trials. Now's the time to learn how to get your prayers answered. You've got to learn how to overcome the lions and the bears in this chapter so that you can take care of the giants in the next chapter because I promise you, there's going to be some giants in the next chapter. He was spiritual. He was humble. And he was faithful. Listen to me. In 2020, God's not looking for perfect people. Hallelujah for that because there ain't none. He's not looking for people that graduated from seminary with a Ph.D. in theology. He's not looking for that. Tonight in Hillsville, Virginia, he's looking for somebody that's spiritual, that's humble, and that is faithful. And if you and I would manifest those characteristics in our life day in and day out, God says, I can use somebody like that. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for the people and the stories that you put in your word, the accounts, not just stories, but accounts, and the principles that we learn from your word. How many here tonight would say, Brother Taylor, I, I sure want to be an individual that God can use, but I'm afraid that there's some areas in my life that are not where they ought to be, and maybe because of those areas... I'm hindering the Lord from using me. Let me ask you a question tonight. Is your life in harmony with God? I didn't ask you if you're just faithful to church. I'm not downplaying that. I said day to day is your life in harmony with God. Have you gotten too big to do the little things? Have you got to the place? Listen, pride creeps in all of us. Have you got to the place where you think, well, that's below me? Have you got to the place in your life you think, what's the point of being faithful? No one's going to know. Spiritual, humble, faithful. You say, Brother Taylor, God spoke to my heart tonight. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Preacher, that's me. That's me. That's me. I want to be a person that God can use. If you're here tonight and say, Brother Taylor, God spoke to my heart. I... And I never considered it. I mean, I'm just a young person, or maybe I'm an older person, and I, I just figured I was going to live till I was 90. I never thought that maybe this year could be my last year. But if it is, I want to know that I'm prepared to meet God. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, and I have a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If He died on the cross to pay for my sins, so that I could be saved and forgiven and go to heaven one day and have a relationship with Him, I don't want to miss out on that. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven tonight. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift up your hand? High enough that I can see it, then put it right back down. High enough that I can see it, put it right back down. Preacher, that's me. Preacher, that's me. I don't know that I'm saved tonight. Lord, help us to respond to what we've heard tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand on our feet tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if God spoke to your heart as the piano begins to play, we want to invite you to come and spend some time with the Lord. And just simply let your life and prayer be, Lord, help me to be the kind of person that you can use. Lord, I'm thankful you're not looking for perfect people and you're not looking for intellectual people. You're not looking for attractive people and certain personalities. But Lord, you're going to have a hard time using somebody that's not spiritual and not humble and not faithful. Lord, I want to be like David in that aspect. I want my life to be usable. If you're here without Jesus tonight, the invitation is simple. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If God is dealing with your heart and saying, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. And tonight, just like you would open the front door of your house, open the front door of your heart and invite Christ into your life. You don't have to do it right here in front of a church. You can do it right there where you are, right here, right now. Just cry out in your heart tonight and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And if I die in my sin, I'm going to die and go to hell. 
But I believe that when you died on the cross, you shed your blood to pay for every sin I've ever committed. And you were buried for me, and you rose again for me. And Lord Jesus Christ, right now, I'm asking you to come in and be my personal Savior. Wash away my sin. Give me eternal life. Save me tonight. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. As simple as that. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can be saved tonight. Come to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. Lord, may our lives be usable. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, I'm going to ask Brother if he'd head on to the back, back there, and we'll shake his hand and tell him thank you again. I was thinking about this. We're getting ready to just give back. a. Uh, uh, you know, each night we give the offering and, and with our evangelist. Every single penny you give is going to the man of God and his family that the Lord's in there. How many of you have been challenged this week? Boy, it's been good preaching, ain't it? And praise the Lord for that. And, uh, you know, when you think about evangelists, I want you to be thinking about this. Most of you know this, but Ephesians 4 talks about that, that office. And the Bible tells he gave us some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, why did God give us those gifts? One of those is the evangelist. And, uh, boy, what a gift he sent us this week, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, it says here, for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting doesn't mean he's going to make you perfect. It has the idea of maturing for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, he sent those gifts to you so you could be matured in the faith so that you could do the work of the ministry. And so put these applications that he's given us to use because, listen, God wants to use every one of us. But remember, to be used, he, he made it pretty clear tonight. We're going to need to be faithful, spiritual, and humble. And so God wants to use us. And listen to how the verse finishes. It says this, Till we all come in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man and to the measure, the statue, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more tossed, our children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. So, so God loves us so much. He gives us these gifts to teach us, to help us grow and mature in the faith so that we don't get tossed around to and fro, but so that we can go forward and carry out the work of the ministry that he's called us to do. So put that into practice. Let's be humble. Let's be spiritual. And, and let's, let's go serve the Lord. And one of the ways we can do that again here right now is taking care of the man of God that God sent us. So I'm going to ask a couple men, or I guess we got four plates out. We'll make that quicker if we can get four folks up. And, and uh, we got two coming. Come on up here, Garrett. We'll put you to work, buddy. And uh, if you, you're, you're, in the, you're in the close zone. You get it. How about, Brother Bob, you mind helping us here? All right. Come on up, and we'll take up tonight's offering. Again, every penny you put in is going to the gift. The gift, the evangelist God sent us. And I will pray and we'll, we'll take it up. Father, again, thank you for the message. Thank you for the messenger, Lord. And, and thank you for the good challenge from the word of God tonight, Lord. Help us remember that you want to use every single one of us. We have breath. We have life tonight because, Lord, you got a purpose for our lives. And so, Lord, help us to help you by being usable. We pray. Bless now the every single, uh, Lord, everybody that has to give. Bless those who don't have to give. And, Lord, just take care of your man and his family that you sent as a gift to us this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
message, please keep standing and uh, we're going to sing Redeemed as we head out. We're going to sing about the one who was too big for the little things and yet chose to be a servant for us, for me and you, our Redeemed.